Well, good morning. Good to see you here this morning. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will bring one to you. I see that hand. Always wanted to say that. It sounded so Billy Grahamish. As we started the book of Corinthians, and we're going to be going through, we, we talked last week of how the church in Corinthians is a mess. They're a mess theologically. They're a mess morally. But Paul still had confidence, not in them, but in Jesus for them. That Jesus was going to bring them through and bring them to himself. He was trusting and had confidence in God. And we saw what an important thing that is to have our confidence in the right place, that we don't have trust, faith in each other, but we have trust and faith in God for each other. He is the one who's begun the work. He is the one who's going to complete it. What we need to do is keep ourselves in the love of God so that that work can be a part of our lives. And so Paul has addressed them with his confidence in God, and now he's going to go on and start to really take off the gloves and and deal with them, try and get them to understand the important things. And so read with me verses 10 through 17. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yeah, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. <laughs> I love that little... I don't really remember. I love how the Holy Spirit doesn't interrupt the, the personality of the writer. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul starts out here and appeals to them, asking them that there would not be any divisions among them. Now, the words that he used here for division... It's not that there would be segments, like different segments, like kind of if you cut a pie and there's different portions. The word that's used is actually that it's from the fabric nature. It has to do with tearing. That there would not be this tearing apart. And so what he's presenting to them is that they would not be tearing the body of Christ apart. Now that sounds pretty important, and it is. And he goes on and he tells them that there would be no tearing apart, that we'd be perfectly united in mind and thought. And, and you know, this idea of being perfectly, perfectly united 
That's another term of sewing together or mending. It's again, I don't want you to tear apart, but I want there to be this fabric, this intertwining of you all together. And the idea of unity, it it sounds so nice. We all know it's a good thing. You know, there should be unity, and we're all, yep, uh uh-huh, mm-hmm. That's that's right. It sounds pretty. It sounds nice. It sounds sweet. But boy, is it a hard thing to do. And what I really want to do is be realistic and, and kind of take the gloves off and explore what this means. I mean, does God just want us to agree with one another? Does he want us to turn a blind eye and say, well, I I know that's wrong, but oh well. You know, with unity above all else, that's all we have to do is be unity, have this smile. Does he want us to have this uniformity? You know, where we all wear the same uniform? We all have this mushy, gooey kind of feeling, and it's all, we're all part of this one uniformed way of living, of thinking, of believing? Is he asking us, that we not be diverse with those around us? And what do we do with the fact that I just don't like certain people and the way that they do things? Am I being too honest here? Did did anyone say, I'm not supposed to say that? But I've talked to enough of you. I know that you feel similar. What do we do with those things? How does that play into the fact that we don't want to tear the body of Christ apart, that we don't want that to happen? We we want to be united, but we still have this tension, these feelings. And am I supposed to just be dumb and blind to what I see, to what I think, or what I feel? What are we supposed to do with all those things to develop unity? And what Paul does... In verse 10, as he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He brings us back to the foundation. You see, he brings us back to something that's essential, and Christ and the cross is going to be the subject of these verses. And so we are to be united in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. There is to be this common purpose. That's what makes us Christian. Is the acknowledgement of who Jesus is. That's what separates Christianity from the cults. We believe that he is God's son. God stamped into human flesh. Made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. That he took upon himself the form of a servant that he gave his life willingly, a ransom for us, and was risen again on the third day. That is what we believe. That is what the church universal believes. And when you break apart from that, you are not a Christian. If you believe that Jesus was Michael the archangel, or the spirit brother of Lucifer, one of many gods. That's what sets you aside into the area of a cult and not into Christianity. But that is the essentials of our faith. And concerning the essentials, we need to hold on to those things together, recognize that that is what makes us who we are. There's a difference between the essentials and the peripherals. Concerning the essentials, we need to be sewn together. 
we need to understand that that is our DNA. That is what makes us his children. Because we have put our faith in his son. He's asking us to agree on the main thing, which is who Christ is and who we are in him. Because that's where the division is taking place with them. They are tearing apart the fabric of who they are as Christians. And what's happening is they're, they're tearing it apart and they're setting themselves in these different categories. In verse 11, he goes on and he talks about they inform that there's these quarrels among you. Where one says, I'm of Paul, I follow Paul. And the other, I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas, or that would be Peter, and still another, I Christ. And so what they are doing is saying, I, I belong to Paul. This is my identity. Or another, I belong to Apollos. And we get a little bit of story on who Apollos is. You can turn to Acts chapter 18, verse 24, real quickly, because I think it's important that we see something about this person, Apollos. Acts 18, verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So we know that Apollos was a dynamic person. He spoke with fervor. He had intellect. He had a cool name. I mean, isn't Apollos? It reminds me of Rocky, you know, the early ones. I know it was Apollo Creed, but just that name. It's like, he's a god, you know. It's the... Apollos, I'm Paul. You know, you just get this idea. And so some people were like, well, I really like Apollos. Man, he speaks with fervor. I love the way he teaches. He really gets deep into, into the word of God. You know, he, he, he doesn't do topical studies like Paul. He's not all emotional like Peter. He's a well-balanced man. He's this. And some people, well, I like Peter. You know, Peter really has the heart of God. And, and Peter's part of the original church. And he has this original dynamic. And some, I like Paul. You know, Paul, he understands both the Jew and the Grecian culture. And, and everyone was identifying themselves with the teacher. Now, I know we don't have anything like that today. Oh my gosh, do we live in the time of celebrity preachers or what? Churches are known by their pastors. And people start identifying themselves under that pastor and that teaching. Oh, I'm of Chuck Smith. I'm of Rick Warren. I'm of John MacArthur. I'm of Francis Chan. And you can pick your favorite. 
nothing. <laughs> I've never heard that one. But what was happening is the identity was no longer in Christ, but it was in the men. And that brought down the identity of Christ in them, which was the unity that they needed to have. You see, it is a shame to us that we bicker above peripheral things to such a point that we will not identify with a brother or sister because we don't agree with how they teach, even though they have put faith in the same Christ that we have put faith in, even though they have trusted in God the same as we have. And they hold a man and his ability to teach. And I listen to a lot of different teachers. I've got a ton of podcasts that I go through. I love listening to people who are gifted and giving instruction and insight into the Scripture and to the things of Christ. There's nothing wrong with those people when it, it helps to build you up into this unit of Christ. But when you start identifying and separating yourself because of this person, because of this denomination, because of this group, then you're doing disservice. You are tearing the body of Christ. It's funny. I've been in Christian ministry for over 25 years in some kind of behind-the-scenes pastoral, worship leader, uh, you know, youth pastor sense. I, I've gone to conferences, sat at table at lunch with big names, have, have gone to other places and have these kind of behind-the-scenes experiences with people who are well-known. And it does something when you get to see people for real. You see, some of them are really witty. Some of them are a little arrogant. Some of them are kind of rude. Some of them are very humble, and some of them are all the above. just depends on the mood they're in. And you get to see them for what they really are, and then you go and talk to someone, and they go, oh, man, can you believe so-and-so? Oh, man, he's so good. And you're thinking, yeah, you know, I know so-and-so. And you hold your mouth shut because, you know, I'm not going to badmouth him. What's good is that? But you see this idolatry of people, of pastors. And they are just people too. And when you start identifying yourself with a pastor, with a person, instead of with Christ, there's a problem. And it's subtle. You don't just say, oh yeah, I identify myself with this church. But what happens is you start thinking yourself better than. Oh, well, you know, at our church... Our worship is cool. And the people at our church are a little younger and hipper. And yeah, that's us. We, we know God a little bit better. We have a little bit more of a, a personal relationship than you know the stuffy churches over there. And pretty soon, once you start comparing, what you've just done is brought pride into the mix. Whenever there's comparison, there's going to be pride. You're, you're setting yourself in comparison to someone else why? To make yourself look good. And when we start comparing ourselves in that way, we do a disservice 
to Christ. And so Paul talks about this, and he, he, he talks about how you're not of this one person or another person. We can't deal with each other that way. Well, God loves the Presbyterians more than the Baptists because he lets them drink. You know, I mean, it's like you, you start making these little exceptions and finding rules to what goes on, and it, you just got to stop. Where these things come from, I don't know. <laughs> but he immediately goes into the important things. You see, it's not about how fine your theology is or the worship that you have or whether your church is big. You know, their church is big, so it must be effective reaching people. Well, their church is small, so they're really connecting to people. You know, everyone, wherever you're at, you like where you're at and you kind of put down everyone else. He's getting past that. He's trying to get them to understand that in verse 13, is Christ divided? You see, he comes back to Jesus. He comes back to the fact that Christ does not sit back and decide, oh, I really like them. I like them more than I like them. It's not like Jesus is rooting for churches like your favorite baseball team. Well, I really like the Dodgers, you know, because they're National League, you know. That, that's the legit baseball. They don't have this designator hitter stuff. Those of you who have children, can you say, well, I really love this child more. Well, you better not. And the truth is, you love the one most who's giving you the least trouble. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> you were adopted. You can't. <laughs> the idea is, they're your family. You will give your life for either one. And you see, Jesus doesn't have favorites, He is not divided. He does not think they're better or that we're better than someone else because of how we do the peripheral. That does not equate into his love, his care, or his blessings. And he wants them to understand that. He cares about all the denominations and the fact that they're warring against each other, tearing each other apart, is really a travesty. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 11. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus' prayer was that we, followers of Christ, would be one would be united in him. What do you think that does to the heart of God to see where we are at? How does that make him feel? And what Paul does is he pulls up the cross. It's kind of ground zero. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized and the baptism is identified with the cross? 
You see, the cross, it's the level playing field. It's the reason you and I are a part of the body of Christ, because Jesus died for us. The cross is where it took place, where we became followers. God revealed himself to us. The Spirit quickened to us the need that we had for forgiveness, the recognition of sin within our life. We understood it, and the death on the cross became the way that we identified that God paid the debt for us. It is that ground zero where we come before God in recognition that we are in need because we have sinned and that Jesus has taken care of that sin on the cross, dying in our place. Now, to have this identity, this understanding, is to bring us into a place of humility. Because I am a debtor. I owe God, my life. And by the Holy Spirit, he's helped me to understand this is my need. And Jesus has taken care of it. And so with all this idea of division and I belonging to this person or that person, Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? People Get real here. Without Jesus, you've got nothing. Because Paul can do nothing for you. I didn't baptize you. Not that he's putting baptism down, but what he's wanting to do is not add to their immaturity. He's not wanting to take the place of Jesus in any way. I was not crucified for you. Peter could do nothing to bring you to God. Apollos can do nothing to bring you into this relationship with God. It doesn't matter what pastor. It doesn't matter what denomination. It doesn't matter all those things. They can do nothing to bring you and make you right with God. It took Christ alone. And that's where we all stand. In the mercy of God, recognize it. And it'll stop you from being proud. Because you got no reason there is nothing you can boast in you are a beggar at the table of God and by his love and mercy he has brought you and sat you down to eat and are you going to now say "Huh, yeah we got it better than you the right attitude is so important And they were not seeing this. They were placing themselves in different levels, a part of these things. You see, Jesus is how we all get in the game. The cross is where we all make our amends to God. And we are all in that same boat. That is the essentials of what we believe. And baptism is just affirming that in our lives, and that's why Paul brings it up. In verse 17, he goes on, and he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, he's giving a little jab to the the little Corinthian 
church there when he says, Christ did not send me to baptize. He's saying that Christ did send me. Remember, they were having a problem with, well, who does Paul think he is? And Paul is saying, listen, Jesus sent me, but it wasn't to baptize. It was to preach the gospel. We know gospel means good news. What is the good news? Well, the good news is that Jesus, the Son of God, came from heaven, died on a cross for you and me, and was risen again. That is the good news. He sent me to preach this to you. And he didn't send it with a flowery message. He didn't want to get in the way of Christ, that they would think that somehow it was about Paul. You know, it wasn't like, man... You know, Paul came and he spoke and he gave that illustration. And, oh, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. I mean, the place was just moved to tears. And, and Paul really changed my life. He, he didn't want that to take place. And so he didn't come with that kind of human wisdom. He wanted the, the message to stay in the focus. He wanted it to be about who Jesus was. And it should never be something where we associate where we are with God with someone else. Yes, people help us, inform us, educate us. But it's only Christ who forgives us. And we should never say, I'm of Genesis. We may attend Genesis, but we are of Christ. And I've told you before, I am not here to feed you and give you everything you need. I'm here to whet your appetite. God is the one who feeds you. God is the one who enlightens you. God is the one who strengthens you. All I can do is point you to him. Let you know that he's there. Maybe help you to lift your eyes up to see him. But he is what you need. Not me. Not Genesis. What we really need is Jesus. My job, if you will, in counseling people is to point them to the reality that Jesus is able to do what you cannot. Jesus is able to help you wherever you're at. It's not to, oh, I'm going to fix this for you. Here, yeah, I, I've been to school, made it through the 12th grade. I, I can help you. What? It was hard. You see, it's not about me. It's not about my education. It's about the living Christ being able to work in your life, change your life, redeem those things that have happened to you. You see, it's the message of Jesus and Jesus' forgiveness that changes who we are. Jesus does what we cannot do. Jesus takes the prostitute and forgives her and makes her a capable mother. Jesus takes 
the person who is addicted to alcohol or drugs and cleans them up and makes them a productive member of society. Jesus takes the people who've been perverted and twisted and gives them focus and clarity so that they know what to do and desire to do it. Jesus is the one who takes the crud of who we are and gives us a new heart and a new nature so that we desire to be holy. It is the work of God that transforms us to be what we cannot. No man can do that, but Jesus can. And it is the power of Christ and the work of the cross that is our identity. It is where we cling. It is where we were born. It is where we live in humility. And we have to recognize that we have this in common. This is our DNA if we call ourselves Christians. And it doesn't matter your denomination if you have that, you're my brother, you're my sister. And I have to understand that, and with that recognition of only Jesus can do this. In me and in you, there's no room to boast. Now, there are some questions, though, that we need to ask. Is this our problem? You see, if you think that you're better because you go to a certain church. You have a certain style to your worship of God. Because whatever it is, you fill in the blanks. As soon as you think you are better than, you have a problem. You see, it's not what the peripherals are. You, you can't compare when you look at other churches and you disassociate yourself with them and you say, well, I'm not like them. Oh, no, I don't do that. Oh, we don't like them. Then what you're doing is tearing the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come, die, give his life so that you could then start tearing it apart. Well, what do you do with people who are different? I don't know if many of you are familiar with John Piper. John Piper is pretty much a, a reformed pastor. He's pretty traditional in his beliefs. And he and some of the leaders and the elders of his church went up when the Toronto blessing was happening. Now, this is when people were like barking like dogs and doing all kinds of weird stuff, holy laughter, you know, just stuff that was really out there. And John Piper went there to check it out, and they prayed over him, and he said that he came back and I'm pretty sure John Piper doesn't do any of those things. But he came back and said he was blessed. That God was working in their lives. And I thought, how beautiful is that? To be able to see the work of God in spite of the weirdness. Because, I'm sorry, I think barking is weird. If you want to bark, that's okay. I can still call you my brother. I'll get you a leash. I'll even train you. But you're still my brother. I still want Christ's blessing in your life. We still 
have that DNA. And that's the hard thing, isn't it? When you see things that you don't like. Because I do. I don't like people on corners with bullhorns or signs telling people they're going to hell. I don't like that. I don't think it's productive. And it's okay to say that. But it's not okay to say that you don't like those people. It's not okay to think you're better than those people. Jesus died for them. Are you better than them? Have to have that understanding. And so when we look at other churches, if we disassociate ourselves with them because we don't, you know, we think their worship stinks or they're stuffy or whatever, then we're tearing the body of Christ. And we need to recognize that. It doesn't mean we can't be critical or have to turn a blind eye, but even in their condition, we are no better than Christ is not divided. Next thing we need to ask ourselves, does unity mean uniformity? We are so diverse, and we should enjoy our diversity. I'm glad that there is a church where you can go to if you want to bark. I'm glad there's a place that you can go to if you like music a certain way. If you like to dress up for church, I'm glad there's a place that you can go to. All these different ways minister to different people. And the thing that happens to us is we are so self-centered here in the States. If you were to go across the sea into a different country and see the way they worship, you would say, this is totally different. They have three-hour worship services. <laughs> Don't be afraid. <laughs> they have a complete identity of their own. And they're my brothers, they're my sisters. God loves diversity. Look around you. Look at the color of hair, skin, eyes. Some of you are tall. God still loves you. God is creative. Our personalities are different. I, I, I love different styles of music. I'm so glad that we don't have to all listen to just the same thing. I'm glad that there's all those different radio stations. I'm glad that I can pull down these different tunes. My daughter even likes me, gets me liking some country songs. I thought it would never happen, but it has. There's diversity because God has created us that way. And so unity does not mean we're all the same. It doesn't mean we all have to think the same. It doesn't mean we have to all worship the same. Again, remember, there's the essentials of who we are as followers of Christ, and then there's peripherals, the things that we do. It's okay to be critical of things, but don't think that you're better. Recognize that in humility, we can appreciate the differences. And we can stand up and say, I'm concerned about this group. Because they're taking us away from the essentials. There's nothing wrong with having discernment. Paul talks about those things. He talks about rightly dividing the word of truth. 
talks about testing all things and holding fast to what is true. Because there are people who are out to gain profit for themselves. They're not in it for Christ. They're in it for themselves. And we've seen examples of that. But we belong to Jesus. We are united in Christ and we need to recognize that that's what unity is about. Is in humility wanting to bless the body of Christ. Loving the kingdom. Loving the work of Jesus in the lives of all his people and not having a critical spirit that picks apart every little thing that you don't like and try and find a verse that will put it down as if we're all supposed to be the same. Chillax. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't become a Pharisee. Allow God to be God. Remember who you are and remember your condition. Because without Jesus, none of us has anything. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that you would bring the importance of the essentials into the forefront of our character that our need for you would be the, the foundation that we build on in our recognition of your church locally as well as globally. That there would be an understanding, God, that we are never better, that we are unprofitable servants, We're only doing what we are supposed to be doing. That there is never a time where we are not in need of your grace or mercy. And that there is never a time where we're in a position to tell others that they need to do things our way. Lord, may we not tear you apart. The world around looks and sees the division sees the tearing, and it's a shame, Father. And so I pray with our hearts that we would not have this judgmental spirit. And and Lord, I ask you to forgive me because I do have it so many times. And I, I was so convicted just by studying these things and looking at where I really am. And Lord, I, I have no room to boast in anything except you and your mercy. And so forgive me, God, for being judgmental, for being nitpicky, for comparing us to anyone else. Lord, may your grace be given as it was given to us, to those around us. And give us wisdom to discern, Lord, the essential things, not to compromise on those things that are foundational to our belief, to hold fast to those things. Hold fast to the essentials, but to give grace to those things that aren't essential. Lord, may your spirit of love and unity be seen in us, I pray. We do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.